Hello, and welcome to another edition of Modest Conversations. I'm here with an old colleague and friend, Eric Antonow. Eric, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Sam. So, what's on your mind? Uh, nothing. We just sat down this afternoon This afternoon and had a nice little sit meditation. Yeah. And then uh, and then dove right into this conversation. Yeah, it's kind of a, a two-for-one. Yes. <laughs> one parking space. Yeah. So, talk, talk, to, talk to me about meditation. Well, maybe I'll ask you when, but two things, when did you come across it and do, how do you think of it? Like, how do you use it? So I, I, I mean, I was aware of meditation for a long time. Um, and it definitely fit into a hippie thing as my friends do for a long time. Um, I started using Headspace a long time ago, um, and kind of went through an initial thing where I used it and then dropped it and then kind of used it and engaged enough to pay for it and kind of move on, um, Maybe, I think it was probably when I left Facebook, so about two years ago. Um, I love the idea of meditation. Mm-hmm. I am not consistent about it, but I do really like it. Um, when you say the idea of it, like, what's the part that seems uh, either useful to you or intriguing to you? Or? I think of meditation as, like, the opposite of Instagram, right? So the way I think about it, I mean, I think about, like, what's on my phone. Again, because for me, I do like having the cue of a guided meditation and the phone, I think it lowers the barrier a lot, but I feel like there's like Instagram and it's headspace next to each other. If I have a break or I'm going to take a break uh-huh. and one feels like candy to me, which is like way more instantly gratifying, uh, easy to get into scroll through, you know, enjoy looking at images and the other, I find meditation harder to get into, but I'm sure it is much better for me. Huh? I'll, I'll, yeah. That's interesting. Like one's easy fun one. It's hard fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, I, I, and you do it with some frequency. You do it a couple times a week or I try to, I think I go through periods. If I can't, I figured out that if I can't sleep, it's incredible for me. Um, like no matter where my head is, it'll just like focus me and I can fall asleep immediately. Um, and I do try to do it a few times a week, but there'll be weeks I'll do it a ton and then weeks I'll skip. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. What about you? How do how did you get into it? I uh, pretty accidentally, I was watching, I was, I was enjoying a, watching comedy videos on YouTube one day and it auto played a video, um, of, uh, Jerry Seinfeld at a benefit in New York for the David Lynch foundation, which is, uh, an organization that, um, uses meditation for people who are in pretty tough situations, people coming back from, uh, war, people are getting out of prison, uh, people in t- very tough schools, inner city schools, et cetera, and uses meditation to try to help them, um, uh, moderate metabolized stress. Interesting. And so I was like, I didn't even know this institution existed. And, uh, and then Jerry, uh, Seinfeld got up and did about a 10 minute description of how meditation fit into his life. And he's been doing it for, he gets up there and explains, I've been doing it for 40 some odd years. Yeah. It was probably the reason I could do Seinfeld because it was incredibly tough to do a show for nine years on network television. You're the star of the show, you're the producer of the show, etc. And he said he would every day, and he's done this since the early 70s, every day he would lock out 20 minutes in the middle of the day and meditate while everybody else went to lunch. And I was like, well, that's very interesting. Um, and he described it, sorry, he descri- he's in his 60s now and he looks great. He described it as uh, a form of rest, yeah, just a way to rest and get energy, yeah. And I like that. That stuck with me. I was like, oh well, that person obviously has a great deal of energy, yeah, and um, it has not blunted his edge in terms of creativity by any means, yeah. And so that package was really compelling to me. And so 
that evening, it was like 10, 30, 11 at night. I was like, I went, looked up um, some meditation training and went to it uh, and pretty much did it every day since then. That's awesome. Um, I, I, the, the larger epiphany for me was probably about six months later um, when I was sitting there actually in a dental chair getting my teeth cleaned. And it seemed to me that we were at this really crazy point in culture where, you know, if I looked, if I looked around the neighborhood I'm in and the community of people I know, and uh, I said, you know, what percentage of people brush their teeth twice a day? And the answer is probably 95% of people. And what percentage? I'm a once a day, but I get the point. (laughs) And and what percentage of people uh, go see a professional once or twice a year to get a checkup and use tools to actually look at things that you can't see. And that's probably in the same category of, you know, 80, 90, 95% somewhere in there. And I, and, you know, of course that's because the teeth are the most important organ in the body, right? It's how they affect your mood and your emotions and how you perceive the world. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's your brain. Yeah. And to me or your mind. And to me, it seemed like we had a very crazy sort of seemed crazy to be at a point in culture where there was a practice that was broadly accepted. Yep. Many countries, many cultures that this is how you maintain the hygiene of your teeth. Yep. Um, Accepted, taught from age, you know, somewhere around four upward, and yet we didn't have an equivalent one for the mind. Yeah. So, so to me, that was the thing that seemed so odd. We haven't invented the the toothbrush for the mind yet, or yeah. the mind brush, and maybe meditation. We, we've for, tried to put bicycles for the mind, just not toothbrushes. There for the we mind. go. But you'd think <laughs> we would have done toothbrushes first, maybe. I don't know. But the point is, it seemed to me that we don't have a very simple uh, tool for daily hygiene yeah. of the mind. And we don't have a we don't have a practice yet that says, well, what professional would you go to once a year, twice a year, once every five years to sort of say, you know, here's where I am. Any thoughts, any reflections, yeah. which I do next. Just using that simple template, I was like, it seems funny that we're not there yet. Now, I I don't I'm completely literally agnostic about this. It doesn't matter to me what practice somebody would go do, whether it was meditation or whether it was just taking time to write in a journal or do something, yep. but it's something to metabolize the experience of the day. Yeah, no, um, I, that and that sense. to me, and that to me, seemed like a missing piece. So. Yeah, it is interesting because I mean, if you think about the world of services and products around brain health, and um, one is like, there's a lot in the history of the world, right, around brain. I mean, you know, you think about like the history of psychiatry, psychology, things like that. There are big. Um, practices that exist in these spaces. But as with many things, they're, they seem historically everything's been reactive. Once you have a crisis, yes. then there are services. Yeah, yeah. There's very little prophylactic yeah. that exists, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least in Western culture. I mean, you might argue that some cultures have very developed senses of these things. Yeah. Um, and I bet, I bet it, you know, even, even I suspect in, you know, many of our sort of Western religions, we had things. Yeah. That were I mean, these, prayer is meditative. Prayer, people, you know, took a moment of silence before eating meals. These were just reflective times. Yeah. And um, they all slightly, they the mind reacts differently to those. But even just to take sort of time out, 10 seconds, 10 minutes, whatever it is, to, to sort of settle the mind seems like an interesting missing piece that's probably uh, rare. Do you think that it's missing historically? Or do you think the problem is, is that it hasn't been... 
for the last hundred years commercializable. And so if anything, it's like a loss in coming back. I mean, Maybe. I, I think what's interesting about meditation, and there are people now, and I mean this in a good way, but there's the obvious ones like the headspaces of the world and the app form, Calm. Yeah. But there's also then like, I mean, there are literally meditation studios springing up in New York. Like there's a trend here going on. But it is interesting because because we live in a capitalist society. The question does come down to how do you monetize and create enough capital flow to create enough attention flow around a thing which is fundamentally sitting by yourself with your thoughts. You're not consuming anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, it wouldn't be shocking to me if it didn't follow the path of yoga, yeah. which could be argued to be something you can pretty much do anywhere. You don't need any special equipment. You'd get, yes. You could go. People to, have monetized the lifestyle, though. That's true. But I wouldn't be shocked if that same thing happened. So to me, I remember, um, you know, I remember 40 some odd years ago when running was a really odd thing to do. Yep. I was like jogging was odd. And then uh, there was a book called Running by a guy named Jim Fix that came out that made it sort of semi-popular, took off mostly in urban areas. But then it, it became less something the track and field people did. Yeah. It was a thing. And if you look now, if you walk down the street in most places and you look at people's feet, there's 10x, 100x the number of people totally. wearing running shoes that are what are derivative of running shoes then actually run. So we've gone from alien to like an accepted thing yep. to an aspired thing. Have you read Phil Knight's biography? No, is it's it good. Awesome. And he was, you know, obviously like fully in the swing, partially driving and partially being a huge beneficiary of that shift. Huh. Um, yeah. It's worth reading. So, so that to me, I, uh, I would not be surprised to see meditation follow a similar path, uh, that jogging took and yeah. that yoga took. 30 years ago and now seems super popular. Yeah. I mean, there's also, there's interesting. So we're, um, one investment that, um, a group of us just did through slow ventures is in this company called brain.fm. Have you, have you seen these guys? Mm -hmm. It's great. It's basically like music for the brain. They have focus music. They have calm music. They have sleep music. Um, Dave actually, Dave Moore likes to talk a lot about digital drugs, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of this interesting spectrum where the, the markets that are evolving around these, like how it affects people. And then I guess also this question of just like, what is luxury? Like time is a luxury. I, I saw an article, I can't remember, somewhere recently talking about how like sleep yeah, is the new... It was a New York Times article or New journal York. article. Yeah. yeah. And like the question to me is like, okay, so that's like saying you can afford and have the space in your life to do eight hours of sleep, which is really important for your mental health, but also yeah. is, you know, an interesting question about luxury versus necessity. Meditation is going to be an interesting, like it's, you know, as a, it's not a sleep, but it's a different, similar type of like the value of rest. Yeah. Uh, is an interesting question. Who gets it? How does it work? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, I mean, I've seen one of the, you know, I've actually seen the, you know, the, the there will be versions, right? And I suspect there will be high end versions, yeah. uh, luxury versions of these things, like the studios in New York, the Inscape uh, and, and like, mindful. And, and also, like, like these, like, long silent meditations people now do that yeah. are super in vogue, where it's like, you know, you have people who take a week long, or I know someone who did recently a friend who you wouldn't expect to did a month long meditation. You're like, wow. that is a luxury consumption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the nice thing about it, I do, I think the things that are very interesting to me is I do think it, there is the possibility of the, um, the least expensive version being the most uh, as ubiquitous as the toothbrush, totally. right? which is, you know, as inexpensive a uh, medical device as you can buy. Um, and, and I think just on the, and again, my experience with meditation is very much on the sort of daily hygiene level yep. and it, why it's so interesting to me. It's just, it's a tool for 
rest and, you know, it gives me the equivalent of getting a nap every day totally uh, without being able to like not having to find a bed and not having to like, you know, actually fall asleep. Yeah. Um, so I think in just in practical terms, the thing that's probably most interesting is the, the ease and speed uh, that it can reach ubiquity. I totally agree with you that what also will be interesting to watch will be what I would describe as the luxury end of this, which yeah. sort of makes it incredibly um, uh, uh, puts an enormous amount of desire around being able to take time off yep. and being able to get in the space to do things. But uh, yeah, I, I think this will probably happen very fast. Like I, I, I would, I would, well, it's highly transmittable because it's so accessible, hmm. right? You know, if you think about like how will it interface with social media? I mean, you do a thing, which is super cool, which we just did, right. Where you do um, 10 minutes usually, right. With a different person on Facebook live meditating. Yes. Um, and um, I mean, it just, it does seem like it's built for viral, growth because it's just like anyone can pick it up and do it anywhere and you know that's that means it can theoretically have a very high viral coefficient i think that i yes i didn't think about it that way but um i think that that's right yeah. i think that that's right i think the part that that i was particularly interested in is the meditation right now uh for even for most people to do it is uh is a private activity yeah it's not a public activity that seems to me arbitrary and and silly it's like saying that you know, there are some cultures where breastfeeding is public and in some cultures is private and that's culturally arbitrary. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that it's, it's, I think meditation is no reason it shouldn't be public. And if it's public, then two things happen. One is people feel comfortable doing it everywhere. Yep. And the minute people feel comfortable doing it everywhere and every other people can see it. So the, vi the co totally. fire coefficient changes yeah. the minute people feel comfortable doing it publicly. It's like, and you also are dropping the cost of it because the reality is that there's a much higher cost associated with yep. finding and maintaining private spaces in the world yes. than just closing your eyes. That's entirely right. I mean, I, I, I am like, yeah, that is, that is entirely right. That is the, for me, that was the largest cost in meditation was I would be, you know, I would have some time in between, you know, two meetings or an appointment or going downtown and I have 15 minutes. I'm like, where am I going to sit and close my yeah. eyes and it won't, you know, be disruptive to somebody else or I won't, people won't tap me on the shoulder like, are you okay? Or yeah. Whatever. Which really happened. It but works I, in an open office plan. It works <laughs> in an open office plan. I've done it in the car number of times and then people drive by and like, are you leaving? And I'm like, man, I'm just trying to close my eyes. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Eric. Thanks for joining me on Modest Conversations. That was great. Good luck, Thank with, you. Good luck with the meditation. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>